Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the Twin Cities of Minnesota of the world. Hello, it's me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. I am thrilled to be talking to you. I'm thrilled to be back. Um, and, and maybe some of you are thrilled about that as well, because I know that of late you've been getting a number of best of shows uh, uh, about my work, about um, some reruns uh, that I would say. Um, and that's because I've been all over America speaking and training. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show. Um, I'm pleased to say that for this show, we are going to do something unique. Um, the big interview is with me, moi, Ellie Krug. My wonderful producer, Brett Johnson, is going to fire up his mic and interview me about being an idealist and about some other things. And guess what? We are Facebook Live. Hello, Facebook Live. If you're, if you're watching here today, so today is actually uh, November 1st. Um, if you're on Facebook Live and you're watching me and you want to send in a question, by all means, Brett has put it up on Facebook on how you can do that. So, wonderful. <laughs> but uh, before then, uh, let's talk about this week's idealist uh, to highlight. He happens to be Bayard Rustin, uh, Bayard, Bayard, B-A-Y-A-R-D, Rustin. He's a civil rights, was a civil rights activist who literally devoted his entire life to creating social change. I have wanted to talk about Bayard um, for a long time. Um, but I just, you know, there was always something else that came up uh, or whatever. But today we're going to talk about him and we're not even going to have enough time to talk about him because there is so much to Bayard Rustin's life. Uh, there is so much that I don't have enough time to cover everything. So here is just barely an interview. Bayard Rustin was born in Chester, Pennsylvania. That's outside of Philadelphia in 1912. He was African-American, a black color human who lived mainly um, growing up with his grandparents and, uh, interestingly, was led to believe that his mother was his older sister. He did not figure – find that out until later in life. The family was well off and connected to important African-American figures of the times like W.E.B. Du Bois um, who came to dinner and spoke about the need to change the country. And Bayard's grandmother was active in the NAACP, that's the National Association of Advancement for, for Advancement of Colored People. And once again, as with so many idealists that we hear about, she instilled in Bayard a sense of social responsibility as a young human. She was also empathetic so that when as a young man, Bayard confessed to his grandmother that he preferred the company of men over women, the grandmother replied, Quote, I suppose that's what you need to do, unquote. Pretty radical for um, the African-American community in the early 20th century for a grandmother to say that. Bayard became vocal at an early age. Um, while attending an historically black college, uh, Wilberforce University in Ohio in 1932, he was in his senior year, he organized a strike and was expelled um, from school. Um, later, Bayard took instructions and trainings from the Quakers and um, actually tra uh, traveled to India to learn about political nonviolence techniques from Gandhi and Gandhi's followers. Um, Bayard, um, for the rest of his life, advocated about uh, for social change 
uh, through non, uh, political nonviolence and through activism. Now, I want to make sure that everyone understands that Bayard Rustin was a man who lived this life. He didn't come to idealism later. Um, he had been an idealist ever since um, he had people showing up at, as a boy at his dinner table talking about changing the world. So by 1941, uh, at that point, Bayard is only 29, um, he had teamed with A. Philip Randolph. Um, that is a name you may be familiar with. A. Philip Randolph was the head of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, which in the 1930s and 1940s was the only, was at least certainly the most visible um, uh, political acti- action force for um, African Americans, black colored humans in the workforce. And so Bayard teamed with A. Philip Randolph in 1941 to go forward with a thing called the March on Washington, uh, which was planned uh, on Washington um, as a way to get uh, African Americans to show up for a huge rally in Washington, D.C., with the goal of ending racial discrimination and employment across America and the other goal to desegregate the U.S. armed forces. As you may know, in 1940-1941, this country was gearing up uh, for a war that, that I think everyone knew and it was inevitably that America would be sucked into. And uh, the Depression was ending. There was great. There were great employment opportunities, but African-American men, because, of course, women would not ever be considered to be hired, um, could not enter the workforce. They, the, that um, defense contractors were refusing uh, to hire them. Um, they'd hire them as custodians, but not as machinists. Um, so there was great pressure being born on uh, President Roosevelt in 1940-1941 about this march on Washington that was going to happen with all of these black-colored people that were going to be in the Capitol. Um, and there was some plot politicking, of course, that went on. Um, but in late 1941, President Roosevelt – or excuse me, in the middle of 1941, President Roosevelt issued an executive order uh, prohibiting uh, skin color discrimination in defense-related industries. Bayard and his colleagues would have to wait until 1948 for President Truman's order to desegregate the military. And, of course, we know that true um, civil rights laws – prohibiting discrimination on the basis of skin color as well as religion and other things didn't come into force until 1964-1965. By 1942, Bayard was attempting to integrate the interstate bus lines in the South. Now, mind you, this is 20 years before the Freedom Riders. So note this, okay? I mean, he is at that point uh, barely 30 years old and on his first attempt, Bayard Rustin boarded a bus in Louisville, Kentucky, bound for Nashville. He sat in the second seat. Thirteen miles from Nashville, the bus was stopped, where white-colored police officers boarded the bus and arrested Bayard. Once at the jail, they beat him. Um, and here is what Bayard later said about that incident on the bus. Quote, and this is an interview he gave to the Washington Blade, which is an LGBTQ publication. Quote, this many years later he wrote this or he, he, gave, he gave this interview. Quote, as I was going by the second seat to the rear, a white child reached out for the ring neck, neck, necktie I was wearing and pulled it, whereupon his mother said, quote, don't touch a N-word. Baird goes on to say, if I go and sit quietly at the back of the bus now, that child 
who was so innocent of race relations that it was going to play with me that we'll, we'll have seen so many blacks go in the back and sit down quietly that it's going to end up saying, that the child would end up saying, quote, they like it back there. I've never seen anybody protest against it, unquote. I'm thinking I owe it to that child, not only to my own dignity. I owe it to that child that it should be educated to know that blacks do not want to sit in the back and therefore I should get arrested letting all these white people in the bus know that I do not accept that. Bayard went on to say, it occurred to me shortly after that that I was an, it was an absolute necessity for me to declare homosexual, homosexuality because if I didn't, I was part of the prejudice. I was aiding and abetting the prejudice that was part of the effort to destroy me. Unquote. Powerful words. And as I said, that was 1942, 20 years before the Freedom Riders. Bayard would later become a key organizer of the 1963 March on Washington. And his counsel, his counsel particularly about nonviolence, was a big reason why Dr. King became a proponent of nonviolence. Throughout much of his life, Bayard Rustin's sexuality was the reason that he was relegated to the back of the room, not maybe if not the back of the bus. And then if he had, the fear was that if he had too much prominence, leaders of the civil rights movement thought that he might be a distraction and a reason to not take their message about equality seriously. So ironically, um, the civil rights movement marginalized someone who was a forerunner of the civil rights movement simply because of who he chose to love. When viewed in that light, it makes it all the more remarkable that Bayard was so persistent and vocal. Truly, without Bayard Rustin, the modern civil rights movement would have been quite different. In 2013, President Obama post, post posthumously awarded Bayard Rustin the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Bayard died in 1987 at age 75 of a perforated appendix. He was at that time on a humanity mission to trip to Haiti. He, uh, he went down fighting just like he started fighting. The New York Times obituary included this. Looking back at his career, Mr. Rustin, a Quaker, once wrote, quote, The principal factors which influenced my life are, one, nonviolent tactics, two, constitutional means, three, democratic procedures, four, respect for human personality, five, a belief that all people are one, unquote. All people are one. Quite the idealist, somebody to look up to, somebody to look about. Go and Google Bayard Rustin, learn more about his life because there's a whole lot that I have not told you. This is what idealists do. This is what some idealists do. They're at the party early, not late, and not late like Ellie Krug got to it, but they're at the party early, and they put on the party, and they stay until it's over. That's idealism at its best. When we come back from the break, you'll get me, Ellie Krug, um, for the big interview. Hooray! 
And if you like what you hear, visit my website at illykrug.com. Um, please uh, sign up for my newsletter. Um, and if you like me and you want to hear from me, you can email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Thanks so very much. Better Futures Minnesota impacts the community by addressing root causes of poverty, homelessness, dependency on public assistance, and high rates of untreated trauma that often lead to incarceration. The lives of men served have been marked by chaos, violence, and loss, which contribute to feelings of devaluation, rage, and lost human potential. Healings from this trauma is essential before participants can succeed as workers, fathers, and responsible community members. Learn how you can support our efforts at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Um, Bayard Rustin, please follow up on him, learn more about him. And now you're going to learn more about me because um, I, uh, for an, because I'm so busy, it's very difficult for me to line up some interviewees. And so what Brett Johnson, my wonderful producer, and I decided was that I would be the big interview um, because usually all I'm doing is just talking. Um, but now um, Brett's going to ask some questions about my work and about me, and you're going to get that. So kind of in an interview format, hopefully that's acceptable. If you're listening on or watching on Facebook Live, send in your questions. Um, and otherwise, Brett... Um, thank you for doing this. And uh, listeners, just so you know, Brett Johnson has been my regular producer for as long as I've been at AM950. And he is just a delight to work with. And Brett, with that, fire away. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the uh, very kind intro. Yeah, it's been almost – has it been three years? Because we're going back to the Hidden Edges days when you originally started doing radio. Was that 2016? Uh, more than three years, yeah. More than yep. three, wow. Yep. So it was in 2016, but I, it, I think it was um, like in September or, or mm. August or something like that. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely uh, – time has piled up <laughs> and we've really been glad to have you here on the station. And we were even doing some math before the show. You have show number 100 of LE 2.0 approaching in the coming weeks i think it's going to happen at some point in december so yep yep 
overall, how do you think the show has been going for you? What are you hoping people have taken away from the show? What are you hoping people learn from listening to your program every Monday morning? Oh, boy. Um, well, so um, first of all, I, I think the show is going okay. Um, you know, I hear from some listeners uh, who say that uh, the stories that we that I share and the some of the personalities that we talk about, idealists that we talk about, uh, that they are touched by that. And, of course, that's always great to get that kind of impact. What am I trying to accomplish with it? Well, I'm trying to get this word idealism and idealist, that phrase, back into the lexicon because we don't talk about it nearly enough anymore. And, and you know, we've, we've diverted off to cult of personality um, – you know, and, and this antagonism, which is a mild word um, that's uh, compared to what some people would use, what's going on in our country right now. But there was a time when ideals about making the world a better place, ideals about changing the landscape and and championing the rights of people who don't have voices, where that was the primary currency going on in America, going back to the, you know, the 50s and the 60s and early 70s. So I'm just trying to get things restarted. Loaded question, but what do you think changed where people got away from idealism and moved to, I don't even know necessarily what to call it. I think you probably summed it up best calling it kind of a cult of personality. Was it just maybe mass media that made people a little bit more cynical? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of different things. One is I, I absolutely do believe that it's mass media. It's the, you know, the existence of Twitter for sure. Um, because you can go on Twitter right now and it just looks like we hate each other um, and some of the other uh, mass media. I mean, certainly I don't, you know, remember I, I'm a unifier, not a divider here. Um, but I mean, certainly we have a, uh, an entire net news network that is devoted to messaging around um, um, around messages that are are not um, welcoming to all humans, that are messages that are, are at many times demeaning about humans. I mean, we're seeing that most recently, of course, with what's going on with the impeachment um, proceedings with how, um, you know, Fox News, again, I'm, I'm a unifier, not a divider, but Fox News, I mean, you've got commentators on there that are attacking America's veterans, I mean, people who gave blood for our country, who clearly only have the best interests of the country in part. So I think that's in partly responsible for it. I also think that what's responsible for it is that we've got a lot more people um, who are on the lower end of the economic ladder. And as a result, I think they have less clout. Um, and the people who are at the higher end have more clout because of these you know, packs and, and other things that are going on. So you get these TV ads, you know, that are also demoralizing and dividing. So well, I think we have all of that. So do you think someone can change throughout their life to become an idealist? Because it's the idea of are you born as an idealist or do you become one later in life? You know, I absolutely think that, um, no, I well, I think both. Okay, so we just did Bayard Rustin, and and there's no doubt he was he was an idealist, at an extremely extremely young age, so no question about that. Um, 
you know, and, and, and frankly, I have been an idealist. I mean, ever, you know, you, you've heard and, and our listeners have heard me uh, speak about um, growing up and starting to read the newspapers at seven years old and, and hearing uh, and reading and hearing the words of Dr. King and Robert F. Kennedy and before that, uh, John Kennedy. Yeah. And, and, and understanding, um, you know, that, that um, we have an obligation to make the world a better place. I mean, there's no doubt I got imprinted at that point. I was going to, I was an idealist, but I couldn't – I got late to the party unlike Bayard Rustin because I got late to the party because I had to deal with my gender issues and they took up a lot of my energy till I could figure that out 10 years ago. And so now I'm really at the party, of course. Um, I, I think I think that many people can be far more idealistic than what they are if they just allow themselves to use their imagination and get over some of their fears because this is – First of all, a solitary business to being an idealist because many times you're bucking a trend. And second, so you're afraid of being judged. And then, you know, for other people, they're a fear of losing things, you know, and, and, um, I'm, uh, I, I, I have some fears about that because obviously, um, I also make my living training and speaking. And, and if I'm on a soapbox too much, there's a risk. Uh, that that's going to turn people off and take and divert them from what my message is, which is an incredibly important message about compassion for others and for self. Yeah, it almost becomes yeah. You don't want to become the cult of personality yourself, where nope. you're yeah, where you're becoming bigger than your message because that's obviously not what you want to do at all. So when you're out speaking to people, I mean, idealism isn't necessarily the thing you're specifically talking about, but it's definitely rooted in when you're giving these speeches to people and when you're talking about training people to be more inclusive, do you find people are maybe changing their minds or sort of getting that seed planted in their head that they can be an idealist too? Absolutely. So in our next, in the C block coming up, I'm going to share an email from somebody that went to my training just this week. Um, No, I, I, I think that humans, most humans are capable of being inspired you know, and I have this saying that um, we're not going to get changed through ordering or commanding. It will not happen, but it will happen through inspiration. See, that's what Dr. King provided for us. That's what Bobby King, Bobby uh, Kennedy provided for us. That is what today that Ocasio-Cortez provides for us. And for some, Elizabeth Warren is providing that, you know, and uh, Barack Obama. I mean, my God, the most, you know, notable um, inspirational figure of the 20, 21st century, he inspired. And so I believe that if we only, we have to get past our fear because we're afraid of many things. But if we allow ourselves to get past our fear of other, that's really what the, most of the fear is. And of course, that's what Fox News exploits is the fear of other. But if we can get past that um, and, and listen to the message, it's about inspiration. We find hope. We do. Well, there's certainly a lot more I think we can cover. And what do you think, Ellie? Should we take a break and uh, get back into it? Because I want to talk about this idea of idealism versus pragmatism. Or as you were alluding to, people who are maybe on the lower end of the economic totem pole that are thinking, well, I don't have time to be an idealist. I just want to get by. So what do you think? Let's talk about that up next. That sounds really great, Brett. Thanks. Okay, listeners, uh, this is me, Ellie, the interviewee. We'll be back in a second. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. 
We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 radio, um, and uh, we're in the middle of Ellie Krug, me, getting interviewed by my wonderful producer, Brett Johnson, who is, in many regards, a way better interviewer than I am. So, okay, Brett, fire away some more. All right, so let's get back into this idea of idealism, because as yep. you said, what do you describe yourself as, a hopeless idealist? Well, a hopeless idealist, but I, you know, but, um, I, I call myself also on this radio show a practical idealist as well. So, uh, Which plays a little bit into the idea of pragmatism as well. It does. You know, so hopeless in the sense that I could never, ever not be an idealist. I will be an idealist until my last breath. It, I, I will be. I mean, you know, um, regardless of how that last breath happens, I will be an idealist. Um, but when I say I'm a practical idealist, I also understand that things have to be concrete, that that people have to be able to have something that they can hook onto um, as a way of going forward. Um, of being inspired and, and of, I mean, hope just for hope's sake is not good enough. I mean, we need to have hope, but we have to have tools that go with that hope to, to realize how to change the world for the better. So what do you say to someone who's sitting there thinking, well, I just don't buy into this whole, for lack of a better term, hooey about, about idealism, or they think, right. You know, I'm on the lower end of the economic side. I don't have time to be inspired. I'm just trying to get by in life. I'm trying to get enough to buy groceries, to make my rent payments, other basic stuff like that. And they sit there and think, Ellie, I don't have time to sit there with these big ideas and how to make the world a better place when I'm just trying to make things better for myself. Well, it doesn't have to be a big ideal like, you know, how we're going to change the healthcare system. The ideal can simply be, I'm going to have a greater degree of compassion, compassion for another human. I'm going to be more willing to engage with somebody in the supermarket line. It, I mean, that, that it sounds very simple, but that can be very important because you never know how your kindness and compassion will ripple to another human. You know, there, remember there used to be that car insurance ad. I think uh, it was, well, we don't need to say who it was, but they had this thing where, you know, you would see that somebody would open a door for somebody at a supermarket. Yeah, pass and it along. Pass okay. it along. Right. And then that person who had the door open, they went and did something kind to somebody else. And then all of that, that is real. Mm-hmm. 
that really happens. That is, that is the way humans are. We are a society of storytellers and story listeners. Why on LE 2.0 radio am I highlighting the stories of idealists? Because we learn from those stories. That's how we learn, you know, and, and by the way, we also learn negative things from other stories. Okay. I mean, there's, there are storytellers out there right now that are telling these horrible stories about people whose skin color is not white, you know, or storytellers uh, telling these horrible stories about people who are born not in the United States. And then people learn from that, you know, and so it go, it does go both ways. So, but it does not have to be a big thing. And that's why my core mission, uh, message is about compassion because that's something almost everybody can wrap their arms around. Trying to remember something you said on a few shows ago. I think you've said it a few times as well that you believe most people are actually good, but there is that small yep. 1% or whoever. Many 2%. Of them. I say 98% yeah, of all 2%. people have good empathetic hearts. 2% total sociopath. So how do you even talk to those people? Because if someone's sitting there thinking, well, we can't just hug it out with a Trump supporter or something like that or just say, oh, well, we'll just be nice and all of a sudden they'll become a better person. Okay. Well, let's not equate sociopaths with Trump supporters. Because, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, we don't want to do that. Right. But, but, and I know you didn't mean to do that. Um, <laughs> but um, here's the deal, okay? How, you know, there are, there are all these commonalities. You've heard me talk about the four commonalities that all humans have. And one of those commonalities is that everyone wants a child in their life to succeed. I, you're going to get, you know, a red person, a blue person, a Bernie person, a Casio Cortez, a Warren person. You get them in a room. Um, they may not be able to talk about the debt or, or talk about foreign policy, but you know what? They'll all be able to talk about a kid that's in their life. They will. And if you can do that, if you can bridge that, that difference, you just say, hold on, let's just put all that other stuff. Let's put that on a burner. Hey, tell me about your grandkids, you know, or tell me about your pets. Cause people, some people like to talk about their pets more than their kids. But, but if you can have that conversation, you inevitably are going to find ground where you start to, you know, you start to soften. Both sides start to soften. And, and remember, um, one of the core principles about my work is the power of human familiarity. And I actually use my voice as a tool for that because many people, when they hear my voice for the first time, they react by giving me the look because their eyes tell them one thing. Their ears suddenly tell them something else and their brain is getting scrambled and it causes some people to give me a look. Um, but I use my voice for people to get used to who I am. I'm other, okay, all right, let's deal with it, the elephant in the room, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm other, but by two hours in after you've heard me talking, have you gotten used to me? Do you maybe even kind of like me? And and I'll see people nodding their heads or holding up the you know thumbs up sign or clapping or whatever, you know, and what that is is you got past it because you gave me a chance to be in front of you to talk to you. Of course, yeah, you come from that unique perspective of being a transgender person where, yeah, that is the elephant in the room where people naturally right. want to ask about that or they they come into the conversation being very hostile. They'll say, oh, well, what you're just doing is a lifestyle choice. So that's got to be tough where you just – where you kind of want to pull your hair out and say, no, that's not at all right. But as you're saying, if you can just start a conversation and maybe get both people to let their guards down, you can start to actually have a meaningful dialogue. Well, and, and I, I mean, I, I firmly believe that the that human familiarity, getting to know another human, getting to understand their story, getting to understand that they are surviving the human condition just like you. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you had that going on like I do. Yeah. 
you know, that kind of thing that becoming familiar with it, I actually believe it's the only way we're going to get through everything. I don't, I, there's no other way we're going to get through it. Um, and that just means that we have to get brave. We have to be willing to take risks to engage with others and people who are other, um, regardless whether it's skin color or religion or political party, all that stuff. I know I sound so idealistic, but if you come to my trainings, I'm not, and we're not, this is not a marketing, uh, um, interview here, but if you come to my trainings, you will see that actually the way it's laid out, you can really grab onto it. And people, I mean, the city of, you know, the community of Steamboat Springs, Colorado is going forward with a year long initiative based on my training of gray area thinking. So how do you actually respond to someone? I know you were kind of alluding to this when they just naturally do reject your message because of your identity, not because of anything you're saying. How do you talk to those types of people? So, um, well, some of that you can't talk about, okay? Um, uh, But some of them, it it is the thing about choice. They believe, well, you don't need to do this. And then I will get into a conversation about the things and other things in life that aren't choices that are all based on authenticity. So, you know, you're going to find inevitably some of those folks, quote around those folks, you know, are like fisher persons like fishing or hunting. I mean, it's like core to them. And really what that is, is that's about, about being out in nature and about, and that's part of their authenticity to have to be about out in nature. And then, you know, I'll just say, guess what? You don't need to go fishing. You don't need to go hunting ever again, because it's just a choice. And then you'll see their eyes kind of like, what did you just say to me? Okay. Well, then my answer back is, please don't tell me who I am is a choice. Trust me. And, of course, by my book because I spent 52 years trying to convince myself that I was a man if I only worked harder. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah and, you, and you've told that story a few times here on the programs and encourage you to go back into the archives. Yeah, some really powerful stuff. And, well, well, I'll make the shameless plug here. What is the t- Well, you wrote a new book as well, so let's give the title of both books. Well, right? the new book's not out yet, so oh, the sure. new book is still in progress. So the old book is Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change, available on Amazon, Kindle, Nook, and all other electronic platforms. Next chapter booksellers. Majors, Don't buy it on Amazon. Majors and Quinn, <laughs> next chapter booksellers, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and then I am working on the next book, which is Being Ellen, which is about, uh, first was about, dealing with coming to grips with my authenticity. And the second is about me being an idealist and going out in the world, trying to change it. So there you go. That was a shameless plug on my part. Not Ellie. Thank you. me a question saying, Oh, make sure you ask me about my book. No, you're not that type of person. No, thank so, you though. <laughs> a few more questions for you. And I got to ask you this one because we are in a very strange era here in this country. Of course, with Trump being an office, things have really changed in this country where, it's tougher to be an idealist and to be optimistic about the way things are going. How do you maintain your spirit of idealism? So, Brett, I mean, remember that gray area thinking training, part of it involves audience participation and self-identification. And the exercise on self-identification asks, you know, the identity I want to be known for is – and people have choices around skin color you know, or socioeconomic class. Would you, If you go on Twitter right now, you would be thinking, oh, that's where I'm going to go stand, okay? But 90 to 95 percent of the room, when I ask, what is the identity you want to be known for is, uh, 90 to 95 percent stand under one sign, and that sign is compassion. They don't do – I don't direct them that way. They've got 19 different choices. I do not direct them that way. 
And it's an amazing sight when you see 100, 150 people or 250 people. Soon I'm going to, next week I'm going to do 600 people. And you see, you know, 90% of that group go stand under compassion. I mean, it is so incredibly powerful, not only for me, but for the people in the room. I get that reinforcement regularly. And it tells me, we do care about each other far more. I mean, I have attempted to get that message out. I wrote a long letter to Frank Bruni of the New York Times saying, hey, Frank, you want to know about something going on in America that no one else knows about? But, of course, I didn't hear back from him. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully at some point you will maybe yeah, marry there in the emails. Know. So you're confident and you're at least optimistic that things are going to get better here in this country eventually where we're not going to be so divided. We're not going to want to tear each other's heads off. I am because um, in the end, we really do care about each other. We really do. And, but we need to have that message. That message has to be playing out far more than what it is. You know, and I'd love to be that messenger. But again, remember, I'm just this little person, you know, um, I love AM 950, but we are not like, you know, a three million watt station. OK, <laughs> yeah, um, no big conglomerate owns us. Yeah, no big conglomerate. Or probably fortunately. Yes. Well, that's true. But, yeah. you know, but it keeps Ellie being small. And and so I, you know, I don't know whether I will ever be able to get at the forefront of some kind of movement about that. I'd love to be, but, you know. It's about timing and all other th all kinds of other things. One final kind of unrelated question for you, Ellie. And often during your first segment, you talk about an idealist that you've researched and someone who usually isn't well known to the general public. I mean, you were talking about Byron Rustin. Do I have his name right? Bayard Rustin. Bayard yeah. Rustin. Yeah. yeah, and I had no idea his story at all. So where do you actually find the people you talk about in segment one? You know, it's all over the place. I mean, I'm, Bayard Rustin's name has been in my brain for a couple, three or four years because I'm that active in the LGBTQ community and he's considered one of the, one of the really very important people um, as a, as an, you know, as a prior activist, um, you know, I, I, I find him from all kinds of feeds. Uh, and then sometimes you read about one idealist that leads to another idealist. You know, and so, um, and 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 then sometimes people send me ideas, but I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm inquisitive about the world. And curiosity is very important for us. Been a fun conversation here, Ellie. In fact, we'll be playing part of this back on the 4 p.m. show here on a Friday, if you're listening right now. But if not, turn things back over to you, Ellie. Oh well, thank you, Brett. That is just so great. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you. You are phenomenal. I, you know, I adore you. And so, all right. Well, thanks. Hit the bumper music, everyone. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, as the big interview, uh, courtesy of my wonderful producer, Brett Johnson. When we come back from the break, I'll give you my C block where I'll. I'll talk about something that really happened this week that reinforced my idealism. Thanks so very much. Follow me on Instagram, Ellie J. Krug at Instagram. Thanks. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. 
Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. Back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, well, you had your fill of me, and now you have my C-block where you are going to get more of me. Um, thank you for putting up with me. Um, and, uh, and, and again, my big thanks to Brett for doing just a wonderful interview. So everyone, uh, C-Block, this is where I talk about my work. You've already heard about some of that work, but I, you know, I want to, um, just talk with you a little bit about something that happened this week. So, we're taping this show on November 1st. Um, you're set to get on a plane tomorrow uh, to fly to New York City to train a law firm in New York down in Manhattan on at um, on Monday morning. And then I get back on a plane on Monday night. I come back here. And then on Thursday, I go to Los Angeles to give a keynote in front of 600 people. Then I come back on Saturday. And then I drive to Omaha to give a keynote in Omaha. You're getting an idea about the way my work is. But, but. Um, if that made you tired, um, I want you to know it doesn't make me tired for the most part. I mean, I am driven by passion and a profound sense of urgency and the constant thought that I am running out of time. I'm 62. You know, we're getting into the gray zone here. I have no idea how much time I have left on this earth, but I'm going to tell you with whatever time I've got left, I'm going to be do my best to make a difference. And my rocket fuel is hearing that my work is impactful, that it is causing people to think differently and then to act differently toward other humans. Um, and that, that differentness is that it's breaking down barriers that we put between ourselves. And we do put barriers between ourselves because of all kinds of silly things like skin color or religion or country of, country of birth or LGBTQ status. An example of rocket fuel came yesterday. Um, by way of an email that I got from someone in San Francisco who had heard my training this week. And I have permission to share that person's email and disclose even her name. Um, it's an email from a, an attorney named Grace Yang. Um, and I'm going to, uh, she's a lawyer in San Francisco. And here is what she wrote Hi, Ellie. I attended your training at X. I'm not going to name the law firm yesterday. Um, part of the San Francisco afternoon crew. First, I was super glad that X is investing in your training. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I needed it because I already practiced so much of what you shared and taught. But just this morning, I had a really nice conversation with a woman on the bus. 
She was very different from me. White color person, older, dyed light blue, lavender hair, held a cute dog in her lap, in a wheelchair. We started talking because I said hello, and I told her that she has a sweet dog. We then surprisingly started talking about taking classes at City College. She told me that City College has a trauma certification program, which would be something that I am interested in, and I may never have found out about it without her. New paragraph. Your session yesterday was the impetus for me to reach out and connect with a stranger who was unfamiliar with me. So thank you. I guess I needed the training after all. Next paragraph and last one. Thanks again for doing the good work. Best grace. What I just read to you will fuel me and nourish me for weeks to come. It will. And the idea that me standing in a room sharing ideas about how humans can be better to each other, about how we can be more compassionate to someone, could cause someone who otherwise would have ignored a white-collar, older, dyed light blue lavender hair woman holding a cute dog in her lap while sitting in a wheelchair, that otherwise that human would have been ignored. But because of words that I shared, it caused one stranger to reach out to that woman. I cannot tell you that there's really much more that I need to do on this earth than that kind of work. And so, Grace Yang, I am exceedingly grateful to you for emailing me. And thank you for giving me a new supply of rocket fuel because it really helps me a lot. And listeners, you heard in the big interview, this is simple stuff. You do not need to come up with a $21 trillion plan about changing health care to be idealistic. All you need to do is to be more willing to engage with people who are different or other, willing to deal with the risks of saying the wrong thing or getting the wrong look or being uncomfortable or what will I say, getting past that and engaging. And then you know what? Becoming familiar with that person through that engagement. And every once in a while, not that I urge you to do this work to get a payoff because I want you to do it because of the value of just doing that work. But every once in a while, you reach out, you get brave, you get a payoff, like you learn about a class at a college that you would otherwise would not have known about. And it's a class that you think would be really cool to take. So there you go. LA 2.0 Radio, about idealism and about me and about my work. Not about me, really, but about my work. I don't ever want it to be about me. And so uh, that's a good show. We got it under the belt. Uh, big thanks to our sponsor, Brending Electrolysis, over in St. Paul. Let Bev know that I sent you. She does particularly great work. And then um, I, my other sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, uh, which gives people a second chance. Yeah, that's also compassion as well. Another thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, I am just so grateful for you. I really am. And my listeners, I'm grateful to you.
I mean, you reach out to me. I hear from you. Um, you email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Sometimes you go to my website at lejkrug.com. Sometimes you follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm just very grateful for you. And will you do me this favor, please? Will you be brave this week? Will you reach out to someone who is other from you? And will you just tell them, you know, you think their dog on their lap is kind of cute or say something about their shirt or their blouse and then watch how they smile back at you. Take care. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.